0: Blue With the first pick in the 2009 NFL Draft, the Detroit Lions select Matthew Stafford. The- Stafford stepping up, going left side, watch Calvin, handsome, got him, oh baby, that was a rocket! And it's picked off, intercepted by Darius Slade. No one will catch him, touchdown Lions. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Michael Rothstein Show. I am your host, as always, Michael Rothstein. This episode brought to you by Indeed and Bet Online. Whew I <laughs> That's probably the best way to describe how I think a lot of people are probably feeling right now. Because let's just be real. The Detroit Lions were six inches four inches away from losing that game. Let, let, let's just start right there. The Lions have won their second game in a row. They beat the Atlanta Falcons 23-22 on a Matthew Stafford 64-second drive that led to a touchdown on the final play of the game and an extra point that ended up being 48 yards long. Start there. But the Lions don't even get there, and this is where I want to start without what happens on Atlanta's last possession of the game. Because Atlanta had the ball. They drove down the field. Frankly, the Falcons were slicing through Detroit's defense. Just absolutely slicing through Detroit's defense. They had positive gains on every play. On all nine plays of that drive, that ended up being a Todd Gurley touchdown, they had positive plays. There was not an incomplete pass. There was not negative yardage. None of that the Falcons drove right down the field. And Todd Gurley tried, really, really, really tried to do what Penn State could not do on Saturday. What you are taught to do in so many different situations. What if you play Madden, you try to do the best you can. Which is, you fall down at the one-yard line. If Todd Gurley does that, and In reality, if Will Harris doesn't wrap him up to try and tackle him, which you get the sense that wasn't what was supposed to happen either, Todd Gurley doesn't maybe stumble. And Todd Gurley doesn't maybe lose his balance. And Todd Gurley doesn't kind of have to stutter step right at the end zone and end up falling in. All of that happens, and we're having a much different conversation here on this podcast today. But, to quote... The great movie, Any Given Sunday. Football is a game of inches. And I wish I could play that entire inches speech for you. Because I've been thinking about that all all the last few hours since, uh, since the game ended. And I was getting ready to record this podcast. And how so football is such a game of inches. And you just saw that, as cliche as it absolutely is. You saw that against Atlanta. Because four inches, six inches... Because if you watched that, if you saw the replay, you saw where the ball landed. It landed on the white stripe, so it broke the plane. That's how close it is between the Lions being 3-3 three and three and the Lions being 2-4. and four. Between the Lions being in a situation where, hey, this schedule until December is absolutely manageable. And you might have to win all of those games between now and December to even have a chance. That's where they are. That's what happened. Todd Gurley, six inches, and a play that he knew what he should have done. In his post game, he was very, very open about that. He wholly admitted it was his fault. He knew he should have fallen down. He thought of other times he'd played, even the Lions when he was a rookie with the Rams, where that has happened. You fall down. So he knew it. He was bummed about it. Raheem Morris even talked about it, said that they had talked about it. Todd Gurley said they had talked about it a couple of days before in the huddle. Do not score too fast. And that is exactly what the Lions did or what the Falcons did. And as I say a slip up there because would you have been shocked if the game had gone the other way and this had been what the Lions had done? Probably not, because that's where things are. Don't get this mistaken. The Detroit Lions are not a good football team at this point. They have a lot they need to work on. There are a lot of holes. There are a lot of questions, but they're three and three somehow, some way. Two of those games literally being won in the last second on the foot of Matt Prater. But they're three and three, and that, at the end of the day, for the Lions, is all that really matters. They look at their schedule in November. They play indie. Then they go to Minnesota, and Minnesota is a shell of the Minnesota that the Lions are used to seeing. They play Washington at home, and Washington is not a very good football team. Then they get to go to Carolina. That game will be tough, as will the Colts game on Sunday. Then they play Houston on Thanksgiving, and Houston seems like that team is a mess as well. So there are a lot of winnable games in there. The Lions i know i've said it a few times they've got a shot if you had told me on september 26th or september 27th or october 4th or anything like that that we would be sitting here and saying oh the lions are three and three and they've got a chance i would have not believed you because you saw what you saw out of them that first month of the season and they look like a completely different team than they do now there are some characteristics that are still there but they've shown improvement they've shown and we'll get into this after the break they've shown some things that make you at least think that they can beat the teams they're supposed to beat and this might sound really weird and maybe this is as damning as anything or it's finally getting them back to where they were but watching them play on Sunday watching them play against Jacksonville last Sunday they felt very much like a 2016 2017 Jim Caldwell team. You beat the teams that you're probably supposed to beat and you're you're winning late and you're in every game. That's to me what I think we're seeing right now and that's to me feels like very much like what we saw in 16 and 17 from Jim Caldwell's teams. Now what does that mean? Will that ca- categorize as major improvement? I think that there's still a lot that remains to be seen. But Matt Patricia has done enough right now to, to keep himself on the right side of employment and on the right side of having a chance because this team could have packed it in if they wanted to. They could have walked away. They clearly haven't. So for the Lions, that has to be enough right now to at least get them to Thanksgiving, and then you see what happens. We'll be back right after this break. We'll break down more of... The Lions 23-22 win over the Atlanta Falcons right here on the Michael Rothstein Show. Even though sports had a break, your business didn't. You have to keep moving, and that makes hiring more important than ever. And Indeed is here to help. Indeed.com is the number one job site in the world because Indeed gets you the best people Fast. Unlike other sites, Indeed gives you full control and payment flexibility over your hiring, you only pay for what you need, you can pause your account at any time, and there are no long-term contracts. Plus, Indeed provides powerful tools to make your search that much easier Try Indeed out with a free $75 credit at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. This is their best offer available anywhere. Go right now to Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Offer valid through December 31st. And get, take advantage of all of the great sign up bonuses. Don't forget to use the promo code bluewire at betonline.ag. That's bluewire, all one word. Bet online, you're online. Sportsbook experts. Welcome back. Thanks for sticking with us. And let's just jump right into this, right? So, I want to hit on a few things. And the we'll start with the end. We'll start with this game winning drive. Matthew Stafford looked. Much more, I think, on Sunday, like the quarterback he did a year ago. He was making the right decisions. He was making smart plays. Even though he wasn't getting into the end zone a lot because the only touchdown of the game he threw was the one he threw at the end of the game. He was completing over 70% of his passes throughout the game. He was making the right read more often than not. There, are only, there aren't any balls I can remember that were like almost interceptions that looked like they could have been picked off. Sure, Kenny Galladay made a lot of incredibly difficult catches, and frankly, the Lions at this point need to pay Kenny Galladay, and they really shouldn't mess around with this at this point because Kenny Galladay's only getting better. His rapport with Matthew Stafford is only getting stronger. But Matthew Stafford was pinpoint on that final drive. His ball to Kenny Galladay on the second-to-last play was a perfect pass. It was just over the linebacker's outstretched arm. It was just in front of the safety. As he described it, he knew he had a, wind, a small window he needed to fit that ball into, that him and Kenny Galladay were on the same page. They were seeing the same thing, and that's the only reason that that play worked. But that was a heck of an effort by Matthew Stafford. Then on the final play, he had to duck away from coverage to find T.J. Hawkinson. He found T.J. Hawkinson in the end zone. T.J. Hawkinson scores the touchdown. The Lions tie the game. Danny Amendola takes off his helmet. Matthew Stafford sees this and is like, "Put your helmet back on." Too late. Flag. Forty-eight yard extra point needed to win the game, which Matthew Stafford was a little bit concerned about. Not that they didn't have confidence in Prater, but just you know, the longer the extra point, like you don't want to mess with that. But the way this drive unfolded was just—it reminded me of vintage Matthew Stafford, of the Matthew Stafford that you saw in 13 against Dallas, that you saw 16 again and again and again, that you saw in 17 even a little bit, that you saw in 14. Like This is the Matthew Stafford that I think people are used to seeing late in games. So included in that, which we haven't talked about yet, was the fact that this game went bonkers again. This game went bananas again. I even tweeted it That it could that in 2000, because remember in 2014, the Lions beat the Falcons because Matt Prater's first attempt at a game winning field goal missed, but there was a delay of game, so he got to kick it again and they won the game. Then in 2017, the Lions looked like they had won the game. Golden Tate looked like he had scored a touchdown. They reviewed it, they reviewed he did not score a touchdown, but they needed a 10 second runoff. So, they ran 10 seconds seconds off the clock. The Lions lost to the Falcons. Lions, in some ways, didn't make the playoffs because of that loss. Even though it was a game that was early in the season. So, 2020 version, with these teams both capable of losing leads, losing fourth quarter leads, because we've seen both teams do it over and over again. You knew something wacky was going to happen. But, then there comes the review And then there comes the possibility of another 10-second runoff. Then there's a conversation over and over again. And then there's a flag where an Atlanta player bumps Karrion Johnson so that becomes an offsides penalty because Karrion Johnson was set. Had he not been set, it might have been a false start and a 10-second runoff and the Lions might have lost. Like, all of these things, it it was just wacky. It was wild. It was – it would be the game of the year and the story of the year And talked about all the time in the pantheon of so many franchises. Except the Lions, it's just... And probably the Falcons too. It's just kind of the cost of doing business. Because with the Lions, the abnormal is normal. The weird is expected. The, oh look, it's the last second. Something bananas and wild is going to happen. Is pretty much the conversation I have with my editor. Every Sunday. When it happens. Uh, it's always fun to me when I have a new editor that has not really dealt with the Lions before. And this is year eight for me covering the Lions. And we'll be talking and we'll talk about story ideas. And I'm just like, hold on, wait, because you just don't know with this team what's going to happen. And I can't tell you how many times I've had to metaphorically rip up copy and have two files going at once, a win and a loss, and sometimes with drastic differences in circumstances because that's how it goes in the NFL. But the way the Lions m- moved and maneuvered on that final drive was exactly what you would expect out of Matthew Stafford. And for the Lions, they have to feel really, really good about that because this is a team that could have you know, made a bunch of mistakes. They could have not had that go how they needed it to go at so many different levels. I mean, TJ Hawkinson tried to get out of bounds early on that drive, and he couldn't. But you look at it after, and, I mean, this is, I'm going to read the play-by-play play, play down to you. Stafford incomplete to Galladay. Stafford right to Hawkinson for 13 yards. That He doesn't get out of bounds, so Stafford has to stop, spike to stop the clock. He's still confident enough to throw to the middle of the field. Throws to Amendola for 22 yards on a really good throw. Runs up, stops the clock again. Then he throws deep to Galladay for 29 yards on a play we were talking about that ended up being ruled a catch. It was a heck of a grab by Kenny Galladay. Galladay, all six of his catches today were in tight coverage. Most of them were leading to him being hit right after he caught the ball. I mean, it was it was something to watch when you understand, too, that Galladay is one of the better contested ball receivers already in the league. But something like that. I don't know how many times I've seen a day quite like that where every catch he ma- a receiver has made, especially a big play receiver like Galladay, is contested like that. So Atlanta had good coverage on him so many times, and Galladay just kept making plays. As TJ Hawkinson told me after the game when I asked him about it, when I asked him at 50-50 balls, he said, with Kenny Galladay, it's not 50-50. With Galladay, sometimes it feels like it's 100% and He's going to catch it. Then comes that final play, the 11-yard pa- touchdown pass, where Stafford had to duck out of coverage. I asked Stafford to walk me through how he kind of evaded defenders there and how he just does it in general. And he's like, I can't because I kind of just don't know. It just happens. And that's not surprising because this is a guy who's done it for 12 years in the league. So these are things you should expect. But they score. Amendola takes off his helmet. They make the extra point. They win. That's the final drive. So let's go back. Let's back up. Let's back up to the one minute, 12 second mark. As I was talking about in the first part of this podcast, the Lions got really, really lucky because they were getting absolutely shredded by Atlanta. Really after those first two drives, Atlanta was moving down the field pretty well. They had two really long drives, but in the fourth quarter, once again, they were just moving the ball quite well. And then there's a big play. Todd Gurley has a 10-yard run. Or, sorry, he ran two yards. Gets the ball. Detroit calls his final timeout with a minute 12 left. All Gurley needs to do, because it's a first down, is not go in the end zone. And they can set up for a young Hoku kick to win the game. That's all they need to do. Because already Matt Ryan had thrown a nine-yard a six-yard pass, a nine-yard pass, nine pass, an eight-yard pass, a 16-yard pass, another 16-yard pass. And then they gave the ball to Gurley to just kind of start running it out to set up for this field goal that would never come. They do that. The, Lions, the Falcons likely win 17-16. Again, we're having a different conversation. But Will Harris tries to tackle Todd Gurley. It's not clear why Will Harris tried to tackle Todd Gurley, because that doesn't make sense. Then it looked like he actually let go of Todd Gurley, because it even looked like mid-tackle, he realized, maybe I shouldn't do this. Maybe this is a bad idea. Maybe they told me not to tackle him. So he, he lets it go. Todd Gurley somehow stays up. He starts falling forward. He regains his balance. He goes in. He's, oh, no. And then everything happens that we know happened. It's wild. It's, I've covered a lot of wild games with this team, and this one was, was up there among the more kind of back-and-forth interesting ones. As Marvin Jones said after the game when he was asked whether it was one of the more wild games that he's played in with the Lions, he's like, you've been covering us, right? Like Because they just know this is just par for being on the Lions. This is just what they do for good and for bad for win and for loss under Matt Patricia. It's been more loss than win at least until Sunday. So a couple other things I want to hit on, on breaking down this game. And it's not like play by play stuff at this point. First, Galladay, Kenny Galladay needs to get paid at this point. There's no reason Kenny Galladay should not have, not have a long-term extension with this team. Why mess around with franchise tagging him at this point? He's fully healthy. You know what he can do. He's only getting better. Yes, he's 26. He's going to be 27 in November, on election day, actually. And maybe that's part. Of, you know, no one's talking on either side. I asked Matt Patricia about it this week, and he kind of sidestepped the question. Bob Quinn doesn't talk during the season. His his representatives have not called me back. Galladay has been particularly cagey. So it's not clear what the holdup is. Whether it's money, whether it's years, because. Listen, Galladay is also going to be 27, so if he wants a six-year deal, you got to figure out how you want to load that contract because you don't want to necessarily be stuck with something too bad in his age 31 and age 32 year. But at the same time, the way most contracts are structured, you're not that worried about that anyway. There's no reason the Lions should not be paying Kenny Galladay at this point. He is worth the money. There's no question about it. His chemistry with Matthew Stafford is undeniable. He's, to me, scheme agnostic. So even if you do end up making a coaching change, Kenny Galladay is a guy that can play in any scheme. He's going to make big plays for you. Gotta pay him. That's my little riff on Kenny Galladay. And I'm sure we're going to talk about that more this coming week and in the weeks ahead. Not all was positive, obviously, because, again, 23-22 win and a game that the Lions really were super close to losing. But when you look at it, there are a couple things that are, are cause for concern with the Lions. They used DeAndre Swift a good amount on Sunday. He had five targets, caught four of those balls for 21 yards. He had nine carries for 27 yards and a touchdown. But there is concern because you look at how they're still splitting up carries with Adrian Peterson and Adrian Peterson does give them something good he's a different type of back there's no question about that you can't play DeAndre Swift every play you just can't like that just doesn't work for running backs it's just not something that can happen but right now they're becoming a bit too predictable when Adrian Peterson comes in the game by my count, I believe it was three or four times they ran Peterson on first and second down. The first down run usually did okay. The second down run did not do well at all, and it left them in not great third down situations. There, There's a little too much predictability, it seems like, when it comes to the play calling with Adrian Peterson in the game. Which, considering what Adrian Peterson is able to do at this point, point in his career is not that shocking because he has always been you know a hardcore rusher he's someone who doesn't always catch the ball out of the backfield all that well although I did ask him about that this week and he is getting more opportunity to do that he likes doing it he has no problem doing it but I mean would you rather have DeAndre Swift or Adrian Peterson catching the ball out of the backfield so I don't know I think the Lions need to figure it out because his yards per carry have gone down week over week since week two Last week, he was also under three yards of carry. He hasn't been over four yards of carry since week two against Green Bay. And teams are just figuring it out when he's on the field what they need to do. And I don't know whether the Lions need to be more creative, whether they need to maybe run more play action with Peterson to try and you know, mix it up a little bit or maybe use him in different types of situations. I don't know the answer to that question. I also at this point... Don't know whether you absolutely want to be playing him in front of carry Johnson because carry on Johnson's basically disappeared from the offense. He has a role, but it's clearly as a pass blocker, which is also a tell carry on Johnson had no targets on Sunday. He had no carries on Sunday. I'll be very curious to see. He's been on the field, but I don't know how many snaps he actually played. I'd be shocked if it's more than like 10. So, Yeah, at this point, I don't know what you're trying to do there. Maybe you give on Johnson, even if it's a couple of carries of Adrian Peterson's workload, you mix it up a little bit because on Johnson at least offers you a little bit more versatility. I'm not saying bench Adrian Peterson because I still think he can bring value to this team and value to what he's doing. But it's kind of clear at this point that he's not able to give you quite as much as DeAndre Swift as far as flexibility and kind of, unpredictability goes which this offense needs all that said of course DeAndre Swift only averaged three yards per carry on Sunday against Atlanta and he had 13 yards on one carry so that should tell you that really on those other eight carries he had 14 yards that's worse than Adrian Peterson so that's just something to keep in mind as well But the Lions' run game still needs to figure itself out a little bit. It's not – it's very scattershot. It's hit and miss. They've had some really good running games, and they've had some games where it just hasn't quite worked. So, yeah, that's one problem that the Lions have coming out of this game. A good thing that happened offensively for the Lions, Marvin Jones showed up. Five catches for 80 yards. Best game of the year. And you got to wonder if that's going to be something that gets him rolling a little bit more because he's had in his career, and we've talked about this I think last week or the week before on the podcast, of how Marvin Jones goes. He'll sometimes have these stretches of three, four weeks where he doesn't do a lot. His production is, is not great. But then he'll have a game where he kind of gets going and it goes boom, 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 boom. For three or four weeks where he really starts to make a lot of big plays so you have to wonder now if that's going to potentially start coming here because that's just been how he's how he has been throughout the mass portion of his career that's been his kind of trajectory that's been his mo um so we'll see but that could be a good thing because the lions have been waiting for a while to try to get marvin jones going daryl Bevel even said they knew they needed to get marvin jones going And guess what? They got Marvin Jones going. Offensive line, um, maybe there's a little bit of a concern there now. Uh, The run game, as we talked about, averaged three yards per carry, and it would have been worse if you take out Matthew Stafford's one eight-yard scramble. Matthew Stafford got sacked twice, and at least one of them, one of them was a completely unblocked guy, and he just got right through. The other one was Stafford really stepping up, and it ended up being a penalty on AJ Terrell from Atlanta and it shouldn't have been I personally I don't think it should have been called a penalty I know Mike Pereira said it absolutely should have been and I can understand it a little bit I guess but Stafford still had the ball it was it didn't look malicious to me and didn't even look like it was helmet to helmet necessarily for me they I know they said it was launching but it looked like AJ Terrell's feet were on the ground so I, I don't know that was a really tricky call for me to feel like was a good call by the officials. But it was a call and that was that one I don't think was on the offensive line's fault because that was Stafford trying to make a play but but the fir, the at least one sack he took was really bad on the offensive line. So there are some things they need to clean up there, but they also did not to my knowledge, at least I didn't catch it and sometimes from TV copy it's a little bit difficult. Did not look like they rotated at all, so it looked like that rotation was maybe just a one-week thing to to kind of maybe figure out what might work best with Joe Dahl or without Joe Dahl. It didn't seem like Joe Dahl played any offense on Sunday. I don't think he did. If he did, uh, he snuck in there late. So it looks like this offensive line is going to be Decker, Jackson, Ragnow, Vitai, Crosby. And you kind of roll from there. And that's a good sixth lineman to have if you have Joe Dahl. So that's on offense. You know, they they have some things they need to clean up. But I thought the offense on the whole did okay. But they have some play calling questions. And they need to figure out a little bit what's, what might work non-DeAndre Swift's version in the run game. Because DeAndre Swift, at least, you know what you're kind of getting from him. He looks like, you know, he's getting more confident week over week. Defensively. I thought they figured out a few things. They clearly know how to use Jared Davis a bit better now. Jared Davis is showing he's much better as a kind of delayed pass rusher than anything else. He had two quarterback hits, quarterback carries. Uh And I thought that that was basically his be- the best usage for him uh, on Sunday. And it's been kind of maybe their best usage for him overall. He shouldn't be in in run situations he shouldn't be in necessarily when he has to cover but if you're going to put him in and I understand maybe you put him in in certain run situations to again avoid unpredictability or to avoid predictability but he bounced off on one of Todd Gurley's runs he just bounced off of Todd Gurley and Todd Gurley's a a big dude but he just didn't rap really well. He still gets caught in blocks too often, but he's shown he can rush the passer, and he's shown that when you basically give him that one role of saying, go get the quarterback and go knock people out who are in your way, you've got a pretty decent shot of being able to do that. And he's shown that he can do that over and over again if he needs to. I thought this was the best game Deshaun Hand played this year. Uh, he had four tackles. He had one goal line stuff of Gurley. That was very, very impressive. They ended up scoring on that play, but or on that drive, but Hand really stopped, did a good job standing up Todd Gurley there. Amani Awarie continues to look, even though he didn't have any passes defended, he's starting to look more and more like a number one cornerback, and it's going to be really interesting to see what the Lions do once Desmond Trufant is healthy because I'm not sure – I think we talked about this last week on the podcast. I know we talked about it on the Instagram uh, live chat I did before the game. I don't know what you necessarily do when Trufant comes back because do you bench your number three overall pick who you need to get reps to get better and who's held his own a little bit? Or do you bench a guy who's been your top corner? And I don't think you can bench a warrior at this point. So I don't know what they do with Desmond Trufant, and it's not like Desmond Trufant's going to go and play in the slot because Justin Coleman's a really good slot corner, and he's clearly getting closer to coming back. Now that's a good problem to have when you have that type of secondary depth, without question, because they've also got Mike Ford and they've got Daryl Roberts, who's filled in okay enough in the slot. He had six tackles, leading the Lions with Jamie along with Jamie Collins. So that's one thing to to figure out that they have to figure out. But their defense, again, I don't know. I won't know until later on Monday the exact man versus zone numbers. It felt like they played a lot more zone again. And I thought their defense, while it got picked apart by Matt Ryan, that had more to do with pressure than anything else. And their just inability to get some pressure on him. But they did look like they blitzed more. It looked like they were coming with different pressures from different spots again. I thought I saw a corner blitz at one point. They definitely tried to rush Tracy Walker a little bit more. Uh, And and two more things when it comes to this defense. One, Romeo Okwara is having a very nice season. It's been a little bit underrated because of the Lions' lack of pressure. But he's been the Lions' pressure more often than not. Now, some of that is Trey Flowers getting so much attention, so he's getting he's getting one-on-one looks, but he's taking advantage of it. He had a strip sack that really helps kind of put the Lions in a good position. He had two sacks of Matt Ryan on Sunday. He had a tackle for loss. He had three quarterback hits. He's been doing this week over week. He played well against Jacksonville. He played well against New Orleans. He played well against Arizona. He has been consistently Detroit—I would almost say he's played somewhat better than Trey Flowers. Trey Flowers, I think, has played largely well, but I think Romeo Carr has actually played better than Trey Flowers. Statistically, he's been much better than Trey Flowers. And that's a really good sign for Detroit and for what they might be able to get from the two of them because you have to figure if teams have to start— paying more attention to Oquara as well. That might shift how they block things. That could open more things up potentially for the interior of the line. And Danny Shelton had a couple of good, I thought, pass rushes, even though he missed the quarterback today. Uh, missed Matt Ryan on one of them really badly. That would have been a pretty critical sack. But I think you're starting to see more of that. And if they have to pay more attention to Oquara and continue to pay attention to Flowers, that could open things up for Walker, for Davis, in as a safety or as a linebacker or maybe even for their interior nick williams two tackles still not really getting going all that much but they were also doing a little bit more of at least early on kind of because they only really had flowers and O'Quara as true defensive ends playing hand and playing nick williams kind of more as quote-unquote ends with penicini and with danny shelton in the middle, so they're they we're mixing things up a little bit. Thought Tracy Walker had an okay game. Uh, the other guy I want to mention is Jaron Curse. Jaron Curse, it felt like was on the field a lot. It seemed like they were playing a lot of three safety sets with Curse, Walker, and Harmon out on the field. And I thought Curse largely was active. Thought he had a couple of not great runs at the ball, but I thought on the whole. He played all right. I'd have to go back and watch the tape again, and I can't believe him having to say that and sound like a coach. But to me, I kept writing him down a good amount. I kept noticing like he was around the ball a lot, which at least means he's being pretty active. And it looked like they were trying to line him up in a bunch of different places. It's clear that they have at least a plan for him. It looks like very much what they were doing with Tracy Walker and somewhat still what they're doing with Tracy Walker. But they're playing a lot of safeties as Matt Patricia likes to do, but Kerr seems to really be settling into a little bit more of what he maybe wants to do. And yeah, I mean you saw Jalen Reeves maybe and at the end, they were playing a lot of guys uh in a lot of different places, and it was interesting to see kind of going forward what that's gonna look like. Now, some of that could have just been trying to figure out a way to contain Julio Jones, trying to figure out a way to contain Calvin Ridley. Hunter Hurst had a really good game. Uh, or, sorry, Hayden Hurst had a really good game, I thought, against the Lions. Julio Jones, by the way, 8 for 97. Hurst, 6 for 68. Russell Gage had 6 for 54, and he missed part of the game with an injury. And then Calvin Ridley had 5 for 69. So Matt Ryan was spreading the ball out pretty well. Uh, yeah, it it was a tricky game for the Lions, without a doubt. But overall, I mean, listen, in the run game – They held Gurley 63 yards. Gurley, after the game, said that he really had to earn each of those yards. He seemed impressed by what the Lions were able to do on him defensively, which we haven't heard much of this year when it comes to the run defense. So it seems like the run defense is maybe getting a little bit better. Held him to 2.5 yards per, per carry. Yes, Gurley scored two touchdowns, but they really had to work for those. Gurley was highly complimentary of what the Lions did defensively. So it seems like the Lions are evolving. Not ready to sit here and say that they're going to be in it in late December or anything like that. I feel, still think it's way too early for that. I think they have to show a lot more than they've shown really at any point this season. Because let's be real, Atlanta's still a team with an interim coach. Atlanta's a team that hasn't been able to finish games all season. It's part of why Dan Quinn got fired. And Jacksonville is one of the worst teams in the league, so they're beating the teams they should beat, some close some games they won handily. That's why Sunday against the Colts is going to be really interesting because the Colts seem like a team that could make a run of things, at least to a playoff spot in the AFC potentially. And we'll see kind of how the lions handle that. I want to thank you all for listening. As always, you can follow me on Twitter and on Instagram at Mike Rothstein. You can follow me on Facebook at Michael Rothstein journalist. Uh, if you like what you hear from our podcast, that's great. Please feel free to leave us a five-star review on iTunes or Apple or just download us and subscribe us wherever you listen to your podcasts. I want to thank my sponsors, Indeed and Bet Online. And we'll talk with you tomorrow.